Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In episode 59, we look at the data, learning, and training specialization. Hello everyone, I'm Alan Pringle, and today I have Caitlin Heath here with me. Hi. Hey there. So let's talk today a little bit about the learning and training specialization that is part of the DITA XML standard. And let's start the conversation first with defining exactly what that specialization is. So tell us a little bit about it overall. The learning and training specialization is designed for instructional content. So you can put things like your learning plan, um, you can do your entire course, and then you can also have things like your assessments or your questions and however you design those. Because it's part of the bigger data ecosystem, how, do, how does it fit in with that? It's designed to fit in and be able to be reused along with your other data content. So you're doing things like you would normally do in data, like using small topics and putting individual questions in their own topics and then you're able to reuse those in different kinds of maps that are designed specifically for learning and training or your standard data maps. So if you can use a standard data map, does that mean that you can mix, say, a standard data topic with the learning and training content? Yes, of course you can. So you can use all of your normal data content, let's say, even your specialized data content within these new learning and training specialization topics, but you will have to use the specific elements in most of those cases that are designed specifically to fit within them. So there is a, a, a really big mix and match kind of scenario here. Yeah I, yeah, I think that's exactly how it was designed to work. It's yeah, so if you have like a task, for example, that someone in your tech comm department has written, for example, and you're in the training department and you need to reference that, you could just pull that into your stuff. Exactly. So you might need to use you know, the specific learning and training element, but then you would be able to reference that dot data topic. And in the learning and training specialization, um, learning content topics, which is where the bulk of your instructional material is going to go, you are allowed to embed other data topics within them as well. So if you're writing a task that is mostly going to go in your instructional content, but you want to be able to reference that ID later, you can embed that topic directly within your learning content topic. I've tinkered a little bit with the learning and training specialization, and I have to say I was overwhelmed by the sheer number of elements. Because there's a lot. There are a lot of elements, um, especially in things like the learning plan topic type. You're not meant to use all of them. You're meant to use and pick the ones that you need to use. So, for example, in our learningdata.com courses, we eliminate a lot of the topic types that we don't need. So we really only are using learning content topic types and then learning assessment topic types. So we decided we don't have enough content in a, for a learning plan, and we don't want an entire topic for a learning introduction or a learning summary. 
So we decided to just include those specific elements within our learning content topic type and then reference those in a normal data map. So can you kind of go over briefly the hierarchy of, I, I guess, is learning object the right word here? Because there's so many <laughs> layers, it's like an onion almost. I think so. So learning objects are, are an element and a map type that oh, are. Oh, that's, that's confusing. <laughs> it's very, it's a little bit confusing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you can have this one main learning object element um, within a learning object map. And so the way that that's designed to work is that you have one main learning object within your learning object map, and that is where you'll, you will define the smaller units or sections in your learning content. And then from there, you, you will include your learning plan, learning overview, learning content, learning summary, learning assessments, if you would like, in that map. And then on a higher level, maybe you would have units or chapters that would be included in your learning group map or your learning groups. It, it gets a little confusing because there are a lot of different ways that you can nest these. So it seems to be intended that you will have units and learning groups at the higher level and then included and embedded sections that are your learning objects within them. And how that is however you would define your units or sections or whatever in your learning content. But you're not required to do things necessarily in an absolute path. Right, with this. right. You can use them however you need to use them. And or not use or them. Or not use them at all, right, right. Which, which we have not used them in our learning data courses. But, yeah, you can use them however you see fit. So you may not have units and sections, you may really only have chapters, and, and then you can use learning objects or you, you can use whatever you need to. You can use a normal map. The interesting thing about the learning objects and learning map elements, they're based on topic refs, so you will have to use specific things, like in a learning object, you will define your learning content ref. And that will have to be the specific element that you use. You can't use a topic ref element. But in the href that you use, you will be able to reference other data material as well. So it doesn't have to necessarily be a learning object topic type. You can use a normal concept topic in that place. And that's where your reuse really comes exactly. into play. Exactly. And the reverse is also true. So. In your normal data map, you can reference those learning topic types, and it's not going to throw an error. It's just, you know, however you have processed your content. When you later turn it into a PDF or you put it into SCORM or whatever to go on your interactive website. So you were just talking about various output types, and you mentioned SCORM, and let's tell people what SCORM is out there. So it stands for Shareable Content Object Reference Model, and it's basically a way to package your information that then your learning management system can process. So it's kind of like an interchangeable way that different LMSs can suck in a, a course, yes. basically, mm -hmm. more or less. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the thing about DITA, even standard DITA, not just this specialization, is that it gives you tremendous amounts of flexibility in what you transform that content into. Of course. And for training, I mean, you could do a teacher guide, you could do a student guide, you could even do handouts. 
Also, that, I mean, also, and on the, that's on the print side alone. Absolutely. And the great thing about using DITA, and especially for assessments and things that you have um, teacher information for, is that you can author it at the same time and store it in the same place so that you can look at them at the same time. So, for example, if you have a test and you've got questions with then the teacher answer key, you can author those things and then view them at the same time. So you'll have the answer options and then a special tag that says, this is the right answer or LC correct response. And so it's really nice not to have to have one Microsoft Word file with the student information and then a separate printout or Microsoft Word file for your teacher information. You can store and write them at the same time. So in addition to the modularity that DITA yes. enables, you also, the whole conditional aspect of content mm -hmm. plays into this too. So you've got this built-in intelligence where you can create a question and an answer and they're together. Yes, it's a huge but, benefit. And then you can output it showing the answer or not depending on the audience for that particular printout or whatever it is. Right, exactly, exactly. And then especially for learning management systems and interactive courses for students, you can then print those answers to the screen when they have you know, selected the correct or incorrect answer. You can have different outputs for different inputs that they have. So if they pick one answer, you can output one thing, and if they pick another answer, you can output the other thing. So basically, you're creating feedback loop. Exactly. So based on if they answer a question incorrectly, it can provide guidance. No, that's not right, and here's why. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it gives kind of in-depth context that you right. can include. Mm -hmm. And we've actually done this in our on our learningdata.com yeah. site. It is based on the learning and training <laughs> specialization. And if you get a question wrong, a lot of the times it will tell you, no, that's not the right answer, and here's why. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We talked a little bit about print. We talked a little bit about online. Let's talk a little more about the online ability and learning management systems and what you can do with this content. So you can include a lot of the media content that you could not in print. So if you have instructional videos and things like that, you can include them in the learning and training specialization. But also I think the conditional processing is a huge benefit as well. I think you can have a lot more interactivity built in without you know, that human interference. That's well, really it's a tremendous amount of overhead right. to maintain two separate versions, especially if you're working in a desktop publishing Absolutely. tool like Microsoft Word Absolutely. and keeping those two things in sync. The amount of brain power alone that has to go into that. Oh, I changed this, so I need to change it over here in right. this version. I can only imagine if you had more than, you know, if you went beyond student and teacher, if there was another audience in there, I can't even imagine how hard it would which, be to do two, much less three. Exactly, and which is possible for, you know, some of the audiences that need to use learning and training specialization. So you might be training different groups that need to know different exactly. levels of things. And then you have that conditional processing that says, for this group we need these topics right. and these lessons, but for this other one we don't necessarily need all of them, we just need the first three or, or however 
But you still have all of that source to build off on. Right, exactly. And you're not having to make a copy and paste it in exactly. over and over it's, and over. It's saving all of that time that Dida normally saves, but for this entire you know, instructional content. I know you've worked a whole lot on our on learningdita.com, and you've worked with a few clients and talked to them about the learning and training specialization. What, based on your own experience in talking to clients, what do people find really challenging about using the learning and training specialization? There, just as in DITA, is sort of a mindset shift in authoring. A lot of times you have to be mindful of the format that your questions, for example, are going to be in. So you might not want to have as many interactive drawing types of questions and things like that. A lot of Sometimes it's difficult to move from a paper model into this is going to be reused and this has to fit in the DITA model. And of course there's specialization. You can specialize your question types, but it is a little bit difficult to go from I have full control over what this question looks like versus this is the structure that it has to fit in. And I think the same thing is true for just authoring the courses. You start to think about that implied structure. You think, oh, what is my overview? What is my summary? Which I think sometimes is helpful because students tend to crave that structure. They like having, you know, this is, this is what the header looks like and this is what I'm looking for. But I think it's difficult to make that shift. But in order for modularity to, modularity right. to work, even in standard data content, not even the learning and training content, right. if you don't have that shift in mindset and you're not thinking about, this is what this is going to look like mm -hmm. on paper, mm -hmm. this you know kind of paper-based paradigm, it, 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 data in general is going to be difficult for right. you. It, I think that's very true. It is true. But it saves a lot of time. It saves a lot of time. How does it save time? Well, for example, in instructional content, you don't have someone, you know, you find that people will rewrite questions over and over again for different courses or, you know, like I was talking about before, really similar courses with a little shift in content. But in this way, you can reuse them and then also reuse content that you've already written, say, in your technical documentation for a product, maybe you can then use it that same content in your training. And so you don't have to rewrite it every time. And if you do, maybe you, you know, conref some in and then, you know, change the way that it's framed. And what does conref mean for those <laughs> who don't know? Conrefing is a way that you can pull sections, whether it be paragraphs or whatever granularity you want it to be, you can pull it in from your existing content into your new topic and your new content yeah, with so, an ID or... Right. So reuse is a huge part of it. Yes, we've absolutely. already touched on that. And then there's also the formatting angle too. We've also touched on a little bit too. Because if content creators, your instructional designers, are not having to spend time focused on what is, how is this going to format and print? What is this right. going to look like when it's in the LMS? All that's handled automatically by the transforms that yes. transform the data into the various output types. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to be thinking about that. You get to focus strictly on right. the content itself. Which again is hard to accept for some people that are used to, you know, 
like I said, drawing their own pictures maybe for, you know, learning content or setting it up in a specific way, but it does save a lot of that time. And, and you mentioned earlier video and you're talking about art. Mm -hmm. You can still get Yes, all of Multimedia stuff will still, you, you can still reference them of as course. objects in this content. Mm -hmm. And a lot of LMSs, you can play a video, for example. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's all still possible. It's just a different way of including it and thinking about where you're going to include it. So if people need help with a learning and training specialization, what are your suggestions? Well, there are not a lot of resources, but we do have a course on learningdata.com called the Learning and Training Specialization. Free. <laughs> Free course, right? <laughs> so that is the first place that I would go for an overview of all of the topic types and sort of what they all do and some of the different elements included in them. Yeah, and I, I think one of the more important things, and you've already touched on this, is you don't have to use it all. Right. If you go in there with the mindset that I have to use every single one of these elements in this hierarchy, you're going to make your life very unpleasant. And let me just say, we couldn't even include all of them in the course. I mean, you probably will never even need to know about all of them. But if you do, you can always visit the DITA 1.3 specification sure. <laughs> to look them up. But this gives a good overview of what those things are and how to use them. Yeah, and I think it's important to realize the people that created the specialization, I'm sure they were thinking about all the different use cases. It's not one of size course, fits right. all. So that's why there are so many elements and so many layers. It's a matter of adapting all those layers to suit your particular purposes. Right. So think of the entire you know, specialization as this is probably everything that is possible, but what do I need and what maps to the content that I have and the needs that I have. And that fits beautifully with into the whole idea of DITA, which right. has the word Darwin in it, Darwin <laughs> right. Information Typing Architecture. It is meant to be adaptable, and that means you adapt it to what you need. Yes, exactly. And I think on that note, we will leave it there. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.